Welcome to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and this show is all about educating you, the consumer, on industry best products and practices, which will allow you as an educated buyer to get the absolute most out of the home that you want to live in. If you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to the earlier podcasts, I encourage you to because it sets the stage for some of the discussions we'll be having. For example, I mentioned that we will be interviewing a number of architects who specialize in residential design, and we'll be interviewing a number of custom home builders. I also point out that a custom home does not have to be millions of dollars in cost. A custom home is a home of intention. That is, it's a home that was designed to meet the needs of your family specifically. It could be a very small home or it could be a very large home. But the difference, again, is intention. It's you taking the time to get educated so that you know what topics to bring up when you're talking to the professionals that are helping you put together this uh, dream of yours. So we're very privileged to have on our show today. Michelle Grace Hoddle, I've had the privilege of knowing Michelle for a few years now. Her firm, Michelle Grace Hoddle Architects, has been in business since 1994. It's licensed in the state of California and Arizona. Prior to that, she worked in architecture and engineering firms during and after her attendance at Cal Poly, Pomona for Architecture. Michelle has been commissioner and subject matter expert for the California Architects Board. She served three terms as an appointed city of La Mesa planning commissioner. She's the past chair of the AIA Custom Residential Architects Network RAN for the AIA San Diego and Palomar chapters. She was a chair of the committee for California's inaugural housing forum for attainable housing. And she currently serves on the AIA National CRAN Advisory Group, which has given me an opportunity to work closely with Michelle over the past couple of years. You can hear and read her blog and her podcast. Her podcast is entitled, I've Never Met a Woman Architect Before. And in her blog, she goes through the trials and tribulations of being a woman, a mother, a wife, a volunteer, a public servant, and last but not least, an architect. So, Michelle, it's my great privilege to welcome you to the show. How have you been? Fine, Kevin. How are you? It's great. I love. I just love your intro and all of the information that you that you say about um, custom homes. I mean, I think that that's a great description of what a custom home is. You know, it doesn't have to be this large, you know, multi-million dollar residence. You know, it can be a very small addition to your home. And then that that's custom, that's unique to, you know, your project. I appreciate your saying that. You know, in the middle of my bio, right, we go, we go over that, um, you know, that I was a past chair of AIA CRAN, like the local chapter, and then on the national chapter and AIA housing forum. And I think that you've attended, you've attended all three of those. Like I've, I've known you through all three of those. It's events. true. 
Um, Michelle, I invited you on the show because I know that you are in the process of building an ADU on your property in San Diego. Yes. And while you're going to have a lot of expertise on uh, designing, uh, building, permitting, all those things for California. So it won't be the things you'll be sharing won't be 100% fit for person listening to the show from Chicago or Orlando. Many, many things, though, that we'll be talking about will be a direct fit. Yes. So don't absolutely. worry about the fact that yeah. you know your, your state building codes are different. Uh, I, I'm really interested in the big picture as, mm-hmm. as we drill mm-hmm. down into this topic. Yeah. So you may or may not have heard that Washington state is about to pass a law that makes that uh, minimizes the obstruction that local permitting can exercise on creating more affordable housing, more housing, um, single family residential, more housing and more affordable housing. I think it's uh, SSB 558, that bill before the House of Representatives in Washington State right now. It was approved by the Senate, and it's it's uh, in committee right now. So that is moving forward because the state of Washington realizes that they got to do something. They're behind hundreds of thousands of homes yeah. in the state, and it's not a pro- project that can be tackled by one city. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask you a couple questions about ADUs. Uh, let me just start, though, by asking you, what is an ADU? People have heard that term, but just want to make sure we're all on the same page. What is it? Yeah. Well, an ADU is an acronym for accessory dwelling unit. And that's typically what we use in the state of California. We say that it's an accessory dwelling unit. Um, you know, also it could be a granny flat, it's a, a mother-in-law unit, you know, there's like other things, but it's basically, it, you know, it's an accessory dwelling unit. And um, in the state of California, any single family and some multifamily uh, zoned um, residences can have uh, one accessory dwelling unit. It can be attached or detached from their house. And it's about it can be up to twelve hundred square feet, depending on what the size of your lot is. You know, what's, um, what's the smallest it can be? Let's just say what would be the smallest that it could be usable. So twelve hundred max. Mine is 240 square feet and I, it is uh, 12 by 20 by 20 feet high at the highest point. And then it's a shed roof going down to about, you know, 60, um, you know, so there's going to be like a storage loft in there. Um, I'm just calling it a storage loft and um, you know, but it's, that's, that's 240 square feet. And so um there's some advantages to that one if they're that small you know it's it's the price of the construction cost is going to be lower and also um the city of la mesa and a lot of other cities will waive fees or give you you know a a credit for fees and so in la mesa it's about two thousand dollars so i'm really going to end up like my permitting costs are only going to probably be around two hundred dollars instead of like two thousand dollars yeah that is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So there is that, there is that benefit to doing a smaller one. One, it just, you know, it, it's just smaller in your backyard. I have a, about a 7,000 square foot lot and my house is 1700 square feet. 
So it's like, and I wanted my ADU to be a little bit higher. This restriction is about 16 feet. So mine's a little bit higher. So I'm, I'm like working within the existing setbacks and not special ADU setbacks, which, um, yeah. And a lot of the zoning code, they're letting you go like four feet from the property line um, instead of going within your regular setbacks. So you're saying that if I were looking to um, move forward with trying to get an ADU on the lot where my house sits, I shouldn't just go it alone because I probably won't understand some of the special provisions that have been carved out for people interested in putting an a- ADU on their property? Is that fair to say? Yes, there, there are a lot of rules and regulations. And even when they have it, even the planning codes and the building codes sometimes differ in things. So like the planning code will say you can go four feet from your property line. However, building code says that you can only go four feet from the property line if you have a one hour wall with no openings, right? And so, you know, typically, right, you don't want uh, like a an accessory dwelling unit that is going to be, that you're going to have no windows or doors on two, on two walls. You know, that's really going to cut down on the light and ventilation that you want to have in your unit. And so, you know, if you go five feet, you can have 25% opening. So there's a lot of rules like that where the planning code might differ from the building code or people will say, oh, I can get these pre-approved plans from my jurisdiction, but those pre-approved plans, you're still going to have to have a site plan that's going to be have to have to be prepared by someone. Okay. There's still, yeah, there still might be limitations as far as the topography of your lot. If you're on a hillside lot, you know, there might be extra structural considerations that you need. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you have to look at. And I, I feel that the best way that you can kind of have some help with that, that the homeowner client can have some help with that is to, you know, is to talk to an architect. Yeah. I, that's, that's the second question I was going to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in the very first episode, um, I talk about how maybe depending on where you live in the U.S., this this the city, the community, the state, they don't require that you have an architect. Uh, it's up to you. But mm-hmm. I talked in that first episode about why I really recommend people, whether the jurisdiction that you live under requires it or not, to hire an architect to help them through this part of the process, designing, understanding uh, what the permitting requirements are, all the little things that if you if you're not doing this for a living, you're not going to know, and you you can waste a lot of money, mm-hmm. or be really unhappy with the end product without the licensed architect who can guide you. So one of the things that you mentioned right there is there is a difference between planning stage and uh, permitting stage in terms of what's called out in terms of what you can do on the property. Um, To me, I wonder when you are helping someone design their dream home, whether it's a a larger home or just like the project you're working on uh, an adjacent uh, dwelling unit on your existing property, how do you help them get 
what they're really looking for in a home. Um, I would imagine that people come to you who don't really, who've never done this before. And yeah. this would be one of the, the biggest investments that they're ever going to make. So they're, they're home. So absolutely. How do, go, yeah. how do you go about helping them? So when they look back, they're like, you know what? One of the best things I ever did was hire Michelle, a licensed architect. What, how do you help a person that's new and doesn't really know what they're doing? They just know what they want is a custom home. Yeah. And I mean, I like to take, you know, it's like people will have an inspiration or a vision of what they want, but you know, it's like, they're, they're not a designer. They're not an architect that's kind of created, you know, space before. And, you know, we're, that's what we do, right? We envision space and we envision a unique solution to your, your problem that you might have, you know, as far as, you know, if, if you've seen, photos of a, of a project that you like, you know, either on Pinterest or Instagram, um, we can help envision your house that same way with your existing conditions or your new conditions. I do a lot of addition remodels. So I'm working with people's existing homes and making them better, turning their house with them into their dream house. Yeah, that's fantastic. You're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and with me is Michelle Grace Hoddle. So, Michelle, at the break, um, you were drilling down and talking to us about uh, whether or not having an architect help you with the design of your home was worthwhile. And I appreciate the thoughts that you shared uh, obviously, I would have to say personally, one of the biggest mistakes you could potentially make if you're designing a new home is to not have an architect. I want to uh, drill down a little bit more on this topic of these smaller units that can be built right on the same lot of where your home is, referred to as, I think, what it was a term, granny, granny unit. Granny flat, accessory dwelling unit. Right. Yeah, ADU, ADU. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Michelle, here's my first question. Like if you're getting ready to lay out a bunch of cash, which, you know, if you're building a structure is exactly what's going to happen. Normally, you're trying to figure out what is the value of this investment? Will I will it appreciate? Will I get money out of it? Does it generate income? All of those things. So before we spend any more talking about uh, what's involved in designing and building uh, an ADU. The question I have for you is, can it be profitable? If I uh, build an ADU on the site with my uh, home, like, can I rent it out on Airbnb? Is that possible? There, there are certain restrictions in certain areas where you know, you cannot, you could rent it out on Airbnb maybe for 30 day rentals. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So in our city, it's 30 day rentals. It's not like you wouldn't be able to have like a new person there every night, kind of like this. But, you know, Airbnb does have extended stay rentals of 30 days. So, you know, and there are people that, you know, want to um, like traveling nurses. They have six month contracts. So that would be somebody that you could have in there for six months instead of, you know, maybe a whole year. Um 
Also, another thing is, is that people, I have a lot of clients that have come to me because they want to have an ADU, they'll rent it out while they're living in the house. And then when they retire, they want the freedom to be able to travel, but they, they don't want to give up their California home, right? So then in that case, they would have the, they would move into the ADU, go travel and rent out their main house. What a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, later on, if they moved to another place, they would rent out the house and the ADU. And, you know, for around here, you know, that could be quite lucrative and be able to finance your retirement. So, you know, so it's definitely, I have, I have people that are building an ADU right now that they're going to rent it out so that they can build a second story addition on their home. Okay. And finance that. Yeah. So you're saying that depending on where you're located, this can actually be quite successful in terms of generating ongoing revenue for you. Yeah. And and I mean, in California, it's definitely going to appreciate the property. You know, you're, I mean, I don't think we can go wrong in California. Really. It's like, yeah. you, can, you can put a shed on your property and I think the value goes up, you know. It's like, and then I, if you want to move, you can sell it and go buy five other homes in other states <laughs> <laughs> for what you exactly. get. It, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't see that it's ever, I mean, I know maybe at the beginning, I think people were kind of, Oh, it's going to depreciate the value of my property. It's going to depreciate the value of the neighborhood. I mean, but I just, I just haven't seen that just hasn't happened. You know, it's, it's become more of, um, it's going to become more of, of, uh, a way to um, to gain value in your in, invest invest um, value into the property without um, you know without adding on to your house without you know adding on to um, you know moving to another area you know thing. So if I were to summarize that, uh, building an ADU on your property could should give you monthly income yes you can rent it out yeah uh and and an area of research that you would want to do is to see whether or not you can rent it out for less than 30 days so the, the uh regulatory standard is 30 days or more falls into longer term stays shorter than 30 days you're kind of getting into the overnight accommodations, which falls into the hotel spacing. And then there's issues there. So not every community will let you rent the unit out for less than 30 days. You have to do a little research there. Yeah. Um, But then you're also feeling like, again, depending on where you're building, adding the ADU to your property is not really likely to decrease the value of the property but it's much more likely to actually increase the value of your property. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, it will definitely increase the value of your property. It will definitely increase. Okay. And I haven't seen any situation where where that has not happened with with any of my um, clients' projects. Excellent, excellent. So now when you're about to lay out some dollars, as I mentioned before, on on a significant investment like improving real estate, the question of, okay, where's the money going to come from? So are all of your clients that are talking to you about uh, building ADUs, are they all coming to you as cash clients? They got 
300 grand, 250, whatever it is in the bank, and they're just paying for it themselves? Or how, how are they financing it if they do? They're coming from a lot of different ways. I mean, some people have refinanced their home. Um, some people are getting home equity line of credit, you know, the HELOC, um, you know, because they have equity in their property. Um, some people are doing cash, you know, um, there's many different ways. And then also um, with the accessory dwelling unit kind of Casita coalition that we have here, there are some lenders that are helping, you know, and they're up to, uh, they're up to speed on all of these other different loan programs that, okay. uh, that different companies are offering. So would you yeah, say for ex especially for ADUs? Okay, yeah. that was a, yeah. that's what I was going to ask. So if mm -hmm. you, would you say that if you're thinking about adding an ADU to your property, it would be worth your while to do a little bit of research on what financing options are available to you? Absolutely. I mean, and I tell everybody, you know, I know people talk about, you know, it's like, oh, like what type of loan should I get? But I mean, you really have to, you really need to talk to a lender because I don't profess to be any expert in, in loans. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, and they're always changing so, so quickly. And there are so many new programs coming out that there's, there's really, you really just need to, you know, Kind of, do your uh, homework. <laughs> yeah, do your homework. Do your exactly. Homework. Do your homework. The other thing that people say is like, "Are oh, my property taxes going to go up?" You know, yeah. I mean, your property taxes are probably going to go up a little bit. I mean, it kind of depends on um, on how the how the county is going to assess your property. You know, I mean, they'll kind of look. I mean, mine probably went up a little bit from adding on to my house initially, and then it might go up a little bit you know, for the ADU, but it's more like the additional square footage. So, you okay. know, if, yeah, I mean, you're going to get, you know, there's going to be some, but then also, you know, <laughs> I've told people, you, you just, just talk to your tax assessor's office because a lot of times they will send you a letter and they really want to know just how much money you've spent on it. So if you're building that yourself, you know, and you're buying the materials, you know, then you don't have to, you know, you don't have to pay what somebody would for, you know, if they, if they got um, a builder to build it, right. Then it's going to be, it's, it's all about how much money you've like spent on it. Okay. That's kind of, I mean, it's, it's complicated. So that's why I always tell people like call the tax assessor's office. I'm not an expert in property taxes and, you know, and talk to a lender about your different options for financing. So if I were to try to summarize that point you just made, would it be fair to say that it's important to track all of your expenses in the build out of the ADU? Because how much you spend, whether you're using a builder or whether you're doing something else, how much you spend will have a direct effect on any increases in your property taxes. Is that yes. fair? Yes. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. And so you should do that anyways, because when you go to sell your house with capital gains, you can actually, if you've saved every single receipt from any work that you've done on your property, you can deduct that. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. For years yeah. back. I mean, people, yeah, yeah. Contract, save your receipts. I've heard this. Save before. your receipts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, 
And with us is Michelle Grace Hoddle, architect and a member of the National Advisory Committee for the AIA's Custom Residential Architects Network. That's a group of about 3,000 architects who specialize in residential design. We'll talk a little bit more about Michelle's work with CRAN in a bit, but first I want to pick up the question that I asked right before the break. So Michelle, we talked about people building an ADU and the likelihood that it would actually generate possibly significant monthly cash flow. So that's a reason why a person might consider building an accessory dwelling unit on their property. But are there other reasons that you've heard of or maybe clients have come to you with where it just made sense to address that challenge or opportunity with building an accessory dwelling unit on their property? Well, I mean, a lot of times people will want, right? It's like they do have their parents are retiring and maybe they wanted to downsize and and having an accessory dwelling unit on their property is going to be a way that their parents can be close to them, but in a separate structure, you know, and right. They don't want to give up their independence by living in the house with you. And so this is kind of their own things. So, um, you know, also for, you know, kids, right? A lot of our kids are staying at home longer. This is a way that they can have, you know, they can have their own place. You know, it's more, might be more affordable than the area that you're living in to rent to them. Um, there's also the, you know, you can have it as, um, as an office space, you know? So it's like, you can still use it as a home office, but it's detached from the house and, you know, you can, you can use it as that. So you can build these accessory dwelling units for any, you know, for any personal um, need that you have. Can you, let's say someone uh, was concerned that as they got older, so you mentioned the example of people who build them with the intention of retiring and traveling and just renting out the main house. Yes. But let's say a person was concerned that as they got older, they might have mobility issues. Yes. Can it be designed in a way that addresses that? Absolutely. I mean, accessibility is is a lot of, um, in fact, I interviewed for one. Um, well, and, and I have another one that was built for, um, it was a spec home that, that I designed. And then because it kind of went down a hillside, there was room underneath on three sides were open to, you know, they were exterior walls. And so we designed an, um, an attached ADU that was actually beneath the, the main house. And so that was going to become part for her, um, for her parents who uh, her father had glaucoma. So, you know, we, we had a lot of um, issues with that, with light, and then also being able to, um, get around in the house while he could still see. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, wider hallways, you know, that will accommodate a wheelchair, um, you know, an accessible bathroom, mm-hmm. you know, with a roll-in shower. I mean, those are things that you can- And this can all be done in the, in yes. the ADU. Yes, they can all be done in the ADU. Maybe if your existing house, you know, it's it's too small. The bathrooms are too small. It's not going to accommodate a roll-in shower. You know, it's like with this accessory dwelling unit that you're doing either attached to your house 
or detached from the house, it can be a more accessible dwelling. Fantastic. So uh, I want to I want to shift gears just a little bit, Michelle. Mm-hmm. So you know that part of my um, goal with uh, this uh, radio program is to give the consumers knowledge that they can use when they're uh, interviewing uh, architects, interviewing custom builders, because uh, as I've pointed out in the past, best practices don't always make it to the consumer. It really just depends on the builder and the architect. So we share best practices, cool new products that do this, do that, blah, 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 within the industry. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even with the um, custom residential architects network, which we're both in national leadership with the AIA, with that knowledge community, we hear content delivered at our symposium each year that we always come away going, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that information, whoever that speaker was, is being shared out to the buying public. It was shared mm-hmm. with us who are in the industry, but it doesn't always make it out to the buying public. So yeah. one of the main yeah. goals for me here is to get that really valuable information out to the public. So uh, transitioning here um, and asking you, because one of the things I really respect about you, because I know how hard it is to run a small business, is you're a sole practitioner. And yes. most of the AIA members are large firms. Well, let me restate that. Most of the AIA member firms are smaller firms, but small firms in terms of 15 or less people on staff. You're a sole practitioner, and that's a very, very small percentage of AIA members. And you're also a woman-owned firm. That's another super small percentage of AIA members. And again, uh, I'm always recommending that if you're looking for an architect, you can make no better decision than to go to the AIA website in whatever community you live in. There's a a component or chapter in, in, in most major areas. And start your search there. And also for residential architecture, I encourage you to just Look for an architect who specializes in residential design, just like uh, Michelle does. So when you've got somebody who is a single uh, sole practitioner and also a woman, that is that makes you very unique in the industry. So, Michelle, my gut feeling is if I hired you to design my dream home, I'm going to get a a different end product than if I hired a firm that specializes in residential design, but they have 35, 50, 100 employees. Is that fair? Is it fair to say that I would get a different final solution by hiring a sole practitioner who's a woman to design my dream home than if I hired a much, much larger firm? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I'm going to be more hands-on and you're going to be communicating with me most of the time. I mean, I I meet with every client. So it's like where you might go with kind of um, a firm that might be larger and, you know, there'll be these figure heads, right? The partners, you know, but you're going to be meeting with someone who is, is going to be, you know, working for them, right? It's like when you're working with me, I'm, you know, I guess you could say it's a boutique architecture firm. You know? uh-huh. So, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of the difference, right? It's like, if you go into a boutique, you're going to find something that's going to be more unique. You're going to be getting more hands-on, 
um, help than if you went into a department store and you were going to pick something off the rack and, you know, maybe there wasn't going to be a salesperson around, you know, maybe there wasn't going to be right that salesperson is going to like help you and kind of design something that's uniquely for you, you know, kind of like a concierge service that you would get from, um, from a boutique architecture firm myself. Um, I have a lot of years experience. I started working for an architect in 1983, which I think a lot of people are surprised about <laughs> because, you know, some of my clients might've been born in 1983. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I started working in my second year of architecture school and I've primarily done custom residential the entire time, you know, so I have a lot of years experience with that. And um, I really enjoy, and I've worked for, you know, I worked for other architects who did custom residential in Los Angeles and San Diego before I started my own firm, um, you know, in 1994. Yeah. So um, on, on that topic there, then mm-hmm. I have advocated for if you're going to design your your dream home, get an architect who specializes in custom residential. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, it's funny because I, I even have friends that that do commercial architecture and they've actually asked my opinion or asked me to design an addition for them for their own home because they said, hey, I do healthcare, you know, and it's like my wife and I can't agree on these things. Can you look at it and kind of give your input? Um, because you do custom residential and and I kind of laugh and I'm like, what? You know, okay. <laughs> I mean, you're still an architect, but um. Yeah, there are. And then other people that have actually um, done the work of, you know, maybe they've designed their own edition and then they've decided to do some work, but they've tipped, you know, they work more in commercial um, construction. You know, they'll they'll kind of laugh and say, like, oh, my gosh, like, I thought I was going to do it this way. And I ended up like I shouldn't have done that. I should have like asked <laughs> you about it. You know, <laughs> because, that's what we're trying to avoid. That's yeah, yeah, that's exactly, exactly because, what we're trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, one of one of um, I, a lot of people architects, right? They like the look of of you know concrete countertops, you know. But mm-hmm. most of us that are in residential practice will say like, you know what? There are many more products out there that are going to give you a much better countertop than trying to do your own countertops, you know. And so they they like said they were going to do the countertops. Another friend and I are like, oh, I don't I don't know whether I don't know whether you should do that, you know. Don't do those counter, you know. It's like just just you know, buy a solid surface countertop and put it in there. But, you know, they, they went through the whole process, right? They YouTubed it, they looked at it, they did it. And then they had to end up having somebody come in and fix all the mistakes and make it look really nice. And so, you know, so, so we're kind of, you know, those of us in custom residential are kind of like, yeah, well, we kind of, we kind of told you that. Yeah. But yeah. We, told you, we told you so, but we don't want to tell you so. Yeah. yeah, you're walking that line. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That. It's like, you know, I, my job, you hired me. My job is to share with you my knowledge and expertise that will hopefully prevent you from making some mistakes. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, especially if you're building uh, uh, something that's re- single family residential, that's something that an experienced residential architect 
can uh, can really help you with. Mm-hmm. So then uh, that was uh, that was very good, Michelle. Thank you for sharing that. But I want to drill down just a little bit more. So when you're talking about a woman architect, mm-hmm. and it bears it bears just kind of like building this out a little bit. Like for many people, all, a lot of the studies that we've done with the AA show that if you ask someone name three architects, there 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 might be one. Uh, Hadid, but but if it's not her, they're just going to name guys, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's maybe Jeannie Gang, maybe Jeannie Gang. Yes, now. maybe you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're yeah. right. They might they might mention her. Yeah, yeah. But the the predominant uh, names are going to be guys. Yes, and so you're not only a sole practitioner, but you're also a woman, and I kind of think to myself, okay. Like I, I compare, uh, 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 what are the strengths of of women over men? And you know, there are a lot of industries where they specifically look for women because they're not looking for gender; they're just looking for uh, proficiency in certain things. Do you feel architecture is like that at all? Do you think that if I was looking for someone to design my custom home? Are there any advantages that having a woman being my architect, I would gain any advantages would I gain from that as opposed to a guy as the architect? Well, you know, I mean, that's it's somewhat controversial in the industry, right? About like, are there differences in genders? Because I'm sure that there's a lot of, there's a lot of men out there that, um, you know, will say like a lot of people will say to other, I mean, I, I do cook. Right. But it's not it's not like all women cook. And so they're going to know how to design the kitchen better than somebody that doesn't. I mean, and then, of course, there's men that are saying, you know, it's like, well, you know, male architects that say, hey, I can cook. I can design a kitchen, you know, better than these other people. I mean, I think that in the industry and what they've kind of shown in, you know, these KBiz, IBiz, you know, they do a lot of research right. Right, through NAHB about who is making the decisions for a lot of these projects working with your, you know, working, you know, when you are designing and building a home and, you know, a lot of times with the home, it, it is that you're, you know, the, the woman is making a lot of those decisions, you know? So, you know, sometimes it's nice that a woman that's made a lot of the decisions that kind of knows a lot, you know, it's like, I've, you know, I'm a mom, um, you know, I'm not afraid to tell people that <laughs> <laughs> my kids are older. So obviously I did something right. But, um, <laughs> yeah, they're still alive. <laughs> they're still alive. I've like, I've worked, you know, I've kind of navigated that. I, I know, you know, how, um, you know, how a home works, you know, as far as like those kind of functional things. I mean, people, People will tell me, but, but, you know, that it can kind of be different. I mean, one of the, one of the people that was in charge, um, she was in administration at one of the local architecture schools. She said that I was one of her favorite woman architects. And I was laughing and I said like, well, you meet like a lot of women architects. It's not like you're in a position where you don't meet a lot of women architects. So she said, she said, well, she goes, one of the, she's like, I think that you're, that you're real. You know, that you're right. just more real about, you know, and so you will be, 
you know, you will say something about your kids or, you know, something that, you know, it's like, well, I would want maybe design it this way. I know that I, I met with a person and, and a lot of, a lot of the things that, that, um, that when they want, when people have kids or they don't have kids yet, you know, and they're adding on to the house. One of the things is like, oh, okay. Is my, is my primary suite going to be away from the kids' bedrooms or is it going to be with the kids' bedrooms? So a lot of times, you know, husbands and wives will kind of go over this thing. Parents, they'll say, uh, you know, do I want to be, you know, close to the kids or not close to the kids? You know, right. are the kids going to be upstairs or are we going to be downstairs? You know, are like we going to be separating out the bedrooms and things? And and I say, you know, well, you know, I mean, a lot of people come to me, they haven't had kids yet. And I said, yeah, I know that you want to already, like you kind of want to get away from these kids that you don't have yet. But, you know, it's like in a lot of cases, the parents, you know, they do want to be fairly close to the kids in proximity to the house, you know? And so these are kind of issues that I can go kind of go over with them. Like, yeah, you can have a primary suite. that's going to be maybe available to the kids, you know, but not, you know, you'll still have your away time. Right. So it's like, you can kind of go through these different things and, and, you know, maybe I'm more, kind of accessible as a woman than, you know, than a man. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of right. It's one of those things, Kevin, where, where people, you know, it, it, men are going to argue the point anyway, if I was going <laughs> to say that, <laughs> most men are going to, right. It's like, even for like one of my, you know, one of my friends from high school was saying that, right, you're, you say happy Mother's Day. And then all of a sudden, you know, there are these men that, well, I raised my kids and I'm like, yeah, but are you a mom? Right. You right. know, Big I mean, difference. yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it's like you're still you still have Father's Day. Right. You want Mother's Day, too. I mean, so it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's gender identity. And, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot there are women architects that are out there that you know they won't do uh custom residential and they you know they kind of are um you know they don't they don't want to be identified as as being like oh because i'm a woman then i'm going to be better designing your home than a man you know it's like it, so it's it's just kind of all over i mean it's a complicated question but well, I think you addressed it. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of it is just going to come down to who you connect with as the purchaser. You're asking questions Absolutely. about what projects have you worked on in the past? How did you help that family come up with, you know, the things that were important to them so that you could uh, include those in the design? Uh, some mm -hmm. of the things that that we talk about on this show like, are you including the best construction processes that will allow me to have a more sustainable home? Are you are you designing the home so that air quality is superior as opposed to a home that doesn't really address that? Are you designing mm -hmm. a home that allows me to spend less on heating and cooling costs as yeah. opposed to a home that doesn't really address that? Are you if if you're in Southern California? Uh, I think it's fair to say you don't have an abundance of fresh water anymore. So the question, <laughs> the question for you and the listeners in uh, Arizona and Nevada that you'd be asking the architect is, are you designing this home so that I can minimize my dependence 
on fresh water, as opposed to just assuming that I have all the water I could ever need. Are you addressing that right now? So it's kind of that that uh, interplay of finding the right architect based on your family's needs and mm-hmm. your ability to to sense that you're a good team, you and the, the architect that you're selecting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, doing doing someone's home, I mean, it's a very, you know, it's an intimate, um, it's a very intimate process. So it's like, you know, a lot of a lot of homeowners and clients will tell me things, you know, sometimes they tell me things like, well, okay, I don't know whether I needed to know that information, but you know, I mean, it's like, it is, it is a very intimate um, relationship that you have with your clients typically because you are designing your home and that's, those are intimate spaces. Um, As far as uh, the water situation, I mean, there are many things that we can do in California that are, that are like current regulation. I mean, everybody has to use low flow um, plumbing fixtures, you know, like that you can't even purchase plumbing fixtures that are not low flow if you're in California. And, um, you know, believe me, people have tried, you know, they've tried to like pretend that they're from out of state. They're they're bringing it in. I think we all need to be concerned about water. And even in the Midwest, they do have droughts. So, you know, my parents live in the Midwest now and, and there, there have been droughts there. So it's always good, you know, to design for that. We're capturing a lot of the rain that is coming off of your roof, you know, and then you can, um, you can use it as uh, basins to, to also, um, you know, water, uh, different areas on your property. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways that you can save on water consumption and um, you know products that are saving on water consumption. You know, there there um there are gray water systems that depending on your jurisdiction you might be able to use. Um, we're trying, you know, so gray water. So you're going to be able to use um, the water that is from your you know washer. Right. And also, you know, you can use it. Not the water from the area that you don't want to use the water. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. People are very concerned about, well, I don't want that to be this used on my plants. It's like, that's, yeah, that's not, that is not, <laughs> you're not going to be using that. Um, I think one of the things that they are starting to do over here, they used to have, call it the toilet to tap program. They've redone that. They do not call it toilet that's a bad tap anymore. brand name. Yes, exactly. That wasn't getting a lot of a lot of headway. Yeah, sign me up. What the toilet to tap <laughs> the toilet to tap program. So now I believe they call it a re- reusable, you know, reusable water. It's 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 branded a different way. So see Michelle, know. that's what happens when people think, you know what? I'm a marketing person. Like, no, you're in IT. No, I got this. We'll call it the toilet to tap program. It'll be a hit. Yeah. So you mentioned yeah. to me that you are an advocate energy ratings. And you told me that you actually have a home energy rating service company that you work with. And I'm a big advocate of uh, energy rating and, and raters encouraging homeowners to ask your builder. Mm-hmm. Do you work with an energy rater? Because that is a game changer in terms of minimizing your ongoing costs of managing your home energy energy wise. So 
why why do you use energy raters in your projects, Michelle? Well, you know, I mean, I've I've talked about it with you know architects from across the nation, right? And one of the reasons why we use them is because it's required by the state. That's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> so I know people say like, oh, you know, enforcement, you know, right? Enforcement. If you want people to drive the speed limit, you you know you put a speed limit sign on, yeah. you have to design. Yeah. And if you go over the speed limit, you can't, you know, you could lose your license and not be able to drive. Right. Um, you know, or at least you're going to have to pay a lot for tickets. So, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Everybody that goes through any type of building permit, we have to have uh Title 24 energy calculations done. So we have a Title 24 person that will do the energy calculations. And this is for anything. If you add on to your house, if you even change out the windows and you're not adding any square footage, you have to have a Title 24 energy report. Um, and then with some of the things you'll have to have like, and all new construction in um, uh, all new construction has to be uh zero net energy um would you use an energy rater if you were building if you were designing outside of california oh yeah absolutely absolutely i mean because i don't you know it's like i, I the the forms used to be easy enough that you could try to do them yourself so it's like we've always had to do them but i typically have a title 24 energy consultant my title 24 energy consultant is an architect so it's like super easy to work with him and he's up to date with all of the, the uh, new codes. And then also, you know, the herds rater has to be different from the title 24 energy calculation person, or even for me. So I have a, I also know an architect who is a herds rater. He of course can't rate his own projects, but he can rate other people's projects. And so those would come with the, the door blower test. I mean, you just, you know, you always want a more efficient, building because your energy costs are going to come down. Right. And so I also recommend, you know, I mean, solar panels, you know, you, you have to have solar panels on all new construction now with uh, detached ADUs, you know, with the, um, the 2022 code that was revised. Um, now all ADUs have to be under uh, over 500 square feet also have to be zero net energy. So they all have to have solar panels also. And I recommend that people have um, batteries, get the battery package so that you're storing everything. Excellent. Your, so yeah. again, HERS is the Home Energy Rating Service. Yes. It is a nonprofit uh, organization that um, created a standard for being able to measure how efficient a home is. So a uh, home from a few years ago, kind of a common built home might have a HERS rating of 80, maybe more, 100, 110. Uh, a home that is built to conserve energy um, might have a HERS rating of 20 or 30 or zero. Yeah. Once you get to zero, your home is actually generating more energy than you're consuming. Yes, so which, is, will, which is what you want. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to yeah. have uh, someone from HERS on the show here in the next couple of weeks or so that'll be talking about how a homeowner 
or potential home purchaser can get up to speed on industry best practices so that when you're talking to your architect and you're talking to your builder on a, a new custom home, or if you're thinking of buying an, uh, an existing home, when you're comparing homes, you can ask the right question to the builders to determine whether or not this is a high performance home. So all things being equal, both beautiful homes, both located in a great area, both the size you want, both have the interior uh, amenities that you want. But if one home costs $500 a year to heat and the other home costs $6,000 a year to heat, you might opt for the home that costs $500 a year to heat. And we're yeah. going to give you the tools yeah. to yeah. be able to figure that out. Yeah. And with rising energy costs, I mean, you know, you have to you have to figure um, that into the equation because, you know, they're. And I mean, I can even remember as a as a kid, uh, we lived in Pittsburgh and, you know, you definitely need heating. In oh, yeah. You <laughs> might be able up. to survive without cooling. But yeah, you definitely. need heating. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we had radiators, um, you know, that's, but but the thing is, is that the house that we had for, you know, just my brother and I and my mom was like too big. And it was just costing too much to like heat everything. So we ended up like selling that house and moving to a smaller house that, you know, that was, that was fine, you know, but it was, um, it was less on heating, you know, which back then, right. We didn't have solar panels. No. Like, yeah. Michelle, as we're wrapping up here. Okay. Tell the listeners, Mm -hmm. how can they learn more about you your projects, and take that next step if they're thinking about building a, a custom home, uh, whether it's an accessory dwelling unit, mm-hmm. 200 to 500 square feet, or something much larger, or remodeling. Uh, how can they gain more information on you and, and how to work with you? What are next steps? Well, I have a Facebook business page, Michelle Grace Auto Architect. And you can okay. view some of my projects on there. I'm also on Instagram, uh, MGH Architect. Um, I have my blog and podcast. I've never met a woman architect before. And Michelle Grace Auto Architect on Facebook. It's MGH Architect on Instagram. And then my podcast and blog, or I've never met a woman architect before. You can contact me via email, M-G-H-O-T-T-E-L-A-R-C at gmail.com in order to get a hold of me and ask me any questions. You can ask me any questions about it. Yeah. Excellent. Now, well, and I'm licensed in California and Arizona. So I look forward to any potential client looking to build their dream home. Well said. Well said. Well, Michelle, it's just really been enjoyable to spend this time with you. You've been really uh, generous in sharing some of your experience and knowledge with our audience. I have a podcast with you, Kevin. That is true. Yes. Listen to, yeah, listen, listen to the podcast with Kevin that I did. And then also some photographs of that great building that you remodeled back east. Thanks. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for the the kind words. You've been listening to Designing and Building Your Dream Home. I'm your host, KT, and we look forward to spending time with you on the next episode. If you missed any of our previous shows, you can get them as podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week.